0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the brake, Ali Hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals Game 5 and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball, it's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Poznanski. and uh, with me this week, super exciting, uh, one of my best friends in the world. We have been friends, we figured just before here, we've been friends for 114 years. Uh, he is the award-winning columnist of the New York Post, uh, author, and all-around great guy, Mike Vaccaro. Mike, welcome.
2: And don't forget, Joe, we co-authored some serious dead air at a Kansas City yes, radio station. Yes, yes, we will one bring... Memorable-
1: <laughs> we won't bring this up there's there's no doubt we are going to repeat some very bad radio but uh we you know I really did figure this out we have been we have been friends for 28 years i That's believe right. i believe 92 i believe is when we met and uh it's it's you know i've been waiting a long time to tell you this i'm sick of it I'm just sick of... It's over. It's it's over. over. This is is why I brought you on the podcast, is just to say, come on, enough.
2: This is is (laughs) to commemorate Eddie Van Halen and how many times he (laughs) fired Sammy Hagar and fired David Lee Roth, so (laughs) I'm being fired as your wingman, huh?
1: You know, I got to say, you know, I mean, obviously, very sad. uh, Eddie Van Halen, one of the all-time greats, one of the great guitarists ever. Um, Sammy Hagar thing... No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, and I know that's like, that's like, a. it's kind of a joke. I mean, I know people say like, you know, as a joke that their favorite singer on Van Halen is uh, is Sammy Hagar or whatever, but it really, really was a, a, a bizarre loss of judgment, wasn't it?
2: Well, you yeah, know, it was really interesting around 1985 or so. I mean, you really had to make a, a choice. It was a serious choice. It's kind of like when you grew up in New York and you finally realized it wasn't okay to just root for New York. Yeah, had to actually declare whether you were a Mets fan or a <laughs> fan or Jets fan or a Giants fan. When 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 Van Halen broke up, yeah, you had to choose. You were either going with the boys or you were going with David Lee Roth. And you know, I, at least in my crowd, if you were if you were uh, you know had, had any kind of taste, you went with the with the Eat and Smile or whatever the heck the name of the David <laughs> Lee Roth record was because that was uh, that was when you did and, and, and you just kind of like laughed at the. At the kids you 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 who know, stood around and danced to the new Van Hagar music, and, <laughs> um, I, I think it kind of grew on me a little bit over time. Probably more than they did. Well,
1: with, I, I don't but, know. No, sure. I mean, look, there's some there's some Sammy Hagar uh, Van Halen stuff that that uh, you know because it's because the guitar is still so great, and you know the move, you know the music moves. And let's be honest, what has not held up well is the David Lee Roth solo stuff. Like that stuff has not held up well.
2: Well, just a gigolo is not going to be <laughs> one for the uh, for the American Institute. And uh, but here's the thing: it's like you know, when when I heard you he pass, the first thing I did was put on the first Van Halen record. Yeah, it's, which is it's... probably the most perfect rock and roll record of my lifetime. I mean, now look, I, I can make an argument for Sergeant Pepper, but you know, I was sure. six months old when that came out, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I was listening to that on the turntable it's, uh, <laughs> in my cradle. But uh, and I I can honestly remember within weeks of when that first Van Halen record came out, I think we were 11 years old or so in 1978. And it was everywhere. I mean, where yeah. I grew up on Long Island, I mean, you know, the three rock stations tried to outdo each other, trying to play it so much. And it was just incredible. And you thought to yourself, how can one band that you didn't hear you'd never heard about three weeks ago produce this perfect record. And it's still perfect. That's the thing. It's 42 years later and it's still a perfect record to listen to. And it's uh you know, it's it really kind of, you know, made a very sad day yesterday, even more so because uh, it was just, you know, but but, but it also is kind of reaffirming because we're we'll be able to listen to that record 42
1: years from now. And, oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, it, it is. It really feels timeless. And it it also feels like like there are I mean, look, you can make a, an argument for a lot of. A lot of records, right? A lot of albums is the rock and roll, the perfect rock and roll album. Obviously, that's what Springsteen was trying to do with Born to Run, and and uh, and you know you can go down the list with a whole bunch of different uh, people who tried to do it. The thing about that record is nothing sounded the same after it. You know, it's like it changed. It it really had a fundamental change. In and I this will you know I, you're you're a huge huge Beatles guy, and I'm more of a of a, you know, secondary, you know, I'm an on the bench Beatles guy. I I, <laughs> I, I respect them, but, but, uh, but, but don't, I don't start. Sure. Um, but I would make the argument, look, the Beatles, the way the Beatles changed music, I, you, you can't argue with, but I don't know that Sgt. Pepper, that specific album changed the sound of everybody else, the way, that Van Halen's first album changed the sound of everybody else.
2: Well, that's a great point. And and remember when that album came out, it was in the middle of, you know, Disco Sucks, Disco versus Rock. Yep. And not just disco, but also punk. And look, as much as I love great punk music, I mean, you know, I always felt like I could just grab a a, a guitar and, and, and start a punk band. There was nothing about what Eddie Van Halen did. One <laughs> note he ever played. I'm a guy who played guitar from the time I was nine years old. There wasn't one note Eddie Van Halen played that I felt that I could do justice to. And I think right. that, you know, at some point, I think that, you know, there, there, there's something to be said for accessible music, but there's also something to be said for when you realize that you're, you're listening to something, you know, in the same way that I'm sure the first time people back in the day heard Beethoven or heard Chopin or heard right. classical music that, you know, Really seemed inspired by the heavens. I mean, I know it's kind of funny to talk about rock music in those terms, but you would listen to what Eddie Van Halen did with a guitar, and you it, it would just it would flabbergast you. And I mean, well, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: I mean, you know, it's like even it's, the Beatles. Like, I mean, the, the, as, as geniuses as the Beatles were, I mean, they were tuneful, melodic songs that you know obviously stand the test of time. And I'm I'm not saying that you or I could write when I'm 64, right? But we could. We I think we could relate to that a lot more than we could relate to. You know any of any of you know even even just the solo uh, the solo work he did and beat it, which I think when a lot of people started to you know who did who weren't big Van Halen fans started to realize oh that's Eddie Van Halen
1: yeah yeah you know
2: I, I can and I, I can remember the first time I heard beat it I'm like wow that really sounds like Eddie Van Halen they got a guy who <laughs> like, like just like Eddie Van Halen and then you realize that not only did he do it but he did it for free and he did it like in his spare time and it was it's just it's, it's so just great. A, it's a signal of genius, you
1: know? It's, absolutely. Well, look, I, you know, I mean, there's the, everybody knows the, I, I assume everybody knows the cliche about the velvet underground that the what 10,000 people bought the first album and, and they started 10,000 bands, right? Like that's the thing <laughs> after hearing Eddie Van Halen. I mean, this to me is what, you, you know, we all used to have the arguments like who is the greatest guitarist or whatever. But the thing that I would say about Eddie Van Halen that makes him fundamentally different is after hearing Eddie Van Halen, that's what every single guitarist wanted to sound like. Right. I mean, like everybody wanted to, you know, they wanted to take it to a different level or do whatever, but it's like, okay, well that's, that's what, that's what a guitar is supposed to do now. I mean, he just, he just changed the dynamic. I think, I mean, as much as, as I know about music, which is, which is not a lot despite the fact that we're going to spend the first 10 minutes of this podcast (laughs) uh, talking about it. But I, but I think that's right. I mean, I think that, that, you know and look, and it was you know and is something that that I think is mainstream I mean it wasn't it it isn't something that was like hard to understand it just was this this driving force in music that uh yeah you know, very sad day it's what a year you know Mike I mean could like could there just be like a day that just go oh there's nothing but good news today that today was just a a nice happy day it, it's it's look at the, look at the people we have lost. I mean, you know, obviously we talked about Eddie Van Halen uh, and, and there were some others uh, in the entertainment world that we've lost, but I mean, Bob Gibson, Tom Seaver, Lou Brock, just in the last, what, three weeks. I, I mean, that's, it's, it feels, man, it feels like our childhood and, you know, and, 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 you know, we're almost exactly the same age. So Bob Gibson, you know, we, we might have a vague memory of Bob Gibson, um, you know, at the end of his career or whatever, but Seaver is right in the sweet spot of our childhood. And so is Brock, even though Brock predated us, you know, Brock had the stolen base record and, and got his 3000 hits right when we were about 10 years old. So, so even Brock, you know, that's, it really has felt like our childhood going down. It's
2: it, it, It's all momentous deaths too. I mean, for me, obviously, I mean, you know that I grew up a Mets fan. I grew up a receiver fan. I mean, I got sure. to know save receiver a little bit. So that one obviously was momentous for me. But even like, I mean, someone obscure like Horace Clark passing away. Yeah. For, for Yankees fans of a certain generation, he embodied an entire decade of their history. Now, it's not one they necessarily want to commemorate with pictures on the wall. But you know, when I, I, I was stunned at how much reaction I got. Yeah. Uh, when Horace Clark passed, and I wrote. You know about the horace clark yankees and stuff i mean i got hundreds and hundreds of emails from people you know who became yankees fans in 1967 or became yankees fans in 1971. and of course the yankees they remember bobby mercer and horace clark yeah <laughs> and so you know and and, and yes it's, it's just these momentous you know, even last week it's like there's not enough days anymore last week we lost both mac davis and Helen <laughs> Reddy on the yeah. same day and i realized you can laugh at those two kind of kitschy campy names from the 70s but you know, if you grew up in a square musical house like I did, Mac Davis and Helen Reddy were like the every other song on the radio. Was I am woman and, and hooked on the, and and don't get hooked right. on the. right, And you know this, you, you might not want to. You say, well, I went to but 19 Mac Davis concerts. The way you say that he went to 20 Springsteen concerts, but the fact is that they are pop icon maestros no and. And we lose them every day. It's it's incredible. Now they double up. Yeah, no. I mean that's that's right. And, and, and even yesterday it wasn't enough that, that anybody Halen goes, so does Johnny Nash. Yeah. And I don't think there were a lot of Johnny Nash fans, but it's probably <laughs> not anybody who's listened to music the last forty years who can't sing every word from you know, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. So it's just, right. It's right. every day. It's
1: every day. And you know, I actually looked this up uh for reasons that I don't even want to bring up. Uh I mean it was it was it was to to show something to the girls. Um, Johnny Nash sang the theme song to mighty Hercules, the little <laughs> cartoon, mighty Hercules. I was like wondering, like, you know, that's song it's, it's such a bad song, um, but it's a great voice. And I'm like, who sings that song? And I'm like, man, they got Johnny Nash to sing that song. You know, you're hundred percent right. I'll tell you who's, you know, Ron, we lost in baseball. We lost Ron uh last week. We lost Lou Johnson, sweet Lou Johnson. And here's one that, that, I don't even know that anybody picked up on and he was really an iconic player in our childhood. We lost Jay Johnstone last week yeah. who was you the, know
2: the ultimate Mary prankster
1: right right seen. right was it I mean like his baseball card he would like be he would be like didn't he win the bubblegum <laughs> blowing contest one year I mean yeah it it feels like it feels like people are going fast at at the moment and it's, I mean think and,
2: about it mean, on January 1st, the first day, my birthday of the year. You lost Don Larson, it's, and it's and it's just it's just it's it's gone gotten worse from there. Yeah, no, it really
1: has. It's <laughs> it really been, it's has. been a it's been a really rough year. It really has been a. a and rough of course, year. on January
2: 1st, I the worst thing that you could say about the next couple of months. Is oh my God, Don Larson died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. That's that is another thing. It is hard to believe. You know, February first, January first, February first, almost. Yeah, March first, probably too. Man, it was like that. Feels five thousand years ago. I mean, the world was just a completely different place. We were all in a completely different place. Have you gone anywhere? Have you traveled at all in this in, during this uh, this six month stretch? Well, I, I actually
2: spent a week in Buffalo at the beginning of September because. Because of an odd con, you know, confluence of events, the uh, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Jets were all playing in Buffalo, uh, <laughs> as you would expect. As you would expect, it was incredible. And I went to school near Buffalo, and I have friends there, so that was actually a, a welcome road trip. I spent two days in in Boston uh, when the Mets played the Red Sox early in the season, which was notable because while I was in Boston, I wasn't allowed in Fenway Park because you discovered when we arrived that they the, uh, the Red Sox were only allowing one person per. News outlet in the ballpark, including the Boston Globe, so it was hard for the New York Post <laughs> to make an argument for two when the Boston Globe was only getting one. And you know, it's funny you asked that question, Joe, because I was, you know, the the thing the thing I always go back to is, you know, I was, you know, sitting in my house on the, the Sunday in between the uh, football championship games and the Super Bowl, and I got a, you know, got a call and said turn the news on, and you know, that, that was the day that Kobe Bryant died. And so my paper sent me out to Los Angeles, which is what you did in those days. Right. Back in the day way back in January. Uh, they sent me to, to Los Angeles for 5 days to just kind of, you know, write about what it was like to be in Los Angeles when this iconic, you know, beloved member of the community died and it was, you know, it was it, it was it was a, a, an amazing assignment. It was 5 days in a place that 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 truly was was almost uh, you know, had had lost all sense of itself because there was yep. such deep grief and deep mourning. And I spent time traveling through Los Angeles and, and went to the, uh, uh the first of May commemorative ceremonies, the, uh, when the Lakers came back and played that Friday. And I thought to myself, wow, that's, that, that, that's going to be the biggest story that I see all year. <laughs> and, and, and now I look back and I'm like, now did that take place in 1998. Or was well, I was going to say, if you had
1: said what year did Kobe Bryant died? I've been like 1983. I think yeah. he died in 83. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, we're saying what everybody out there knows, but I mean, it is, it's been so, you know, time hasn't mattered. And, and so much news is just poured at us every minute of every day. It's just, it just feels uh, it's just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. And, you know, now really this is sort of a weird, I guess just a weird side thing, but we've also had all four sports, uh, you know, all four American team sports uh, going at once. I mean, obviously hockey is over now and the NBA is coming to an end, but for the last month or so, it's, it's been, you know, everything's going all at once. And you don't know if any of it means anything, you you know, it's, there are no people in the stands or, or, or just a handful. And I don't really know what's weirder by the way. Um, seeing nobody in the stands or seeing like a thousand people in the stands like it's <laughs> it it's they're both incredibly weird it's all happening all at once um you are you know I mean you're you're a real <laughs> this is this is gonna sound bad but you're a real live sports columnist back from back in the day when when sports columnists covered everything and 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 wrote every day and and did all of this and you're still you know, there are not that many of 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 you left. Um, what has this last month been like for you, trying to trying to keep up with everything that's going on?
2: You know, it's been surreal, Joe. And I'll say, I mean, there, there's so many different ways we can answer that. Um, I'll start by saying by saying it this way, with a blanket statement: I hate covering sports the way we have to cover them now. Yeah. Um, I hate I hate Zoom rooms. <laughs> I hate the fact that look, I mean, you know. I feel terrible about the fact that I've been covering this American League division series the last two nights, and will continue to do so from my lazy boy, yeah. um, which of course sounds like the most perfect uh, tool in the sports writer <laughs> toolbox. There, but
1: you're not, the, you're, let's be honest, I mean, not everybody would agree that that's terrible.
2: No, I understand, but
1: look at me, I, mean, I, I, I want to be San you do. Diego,
2: I, I want to be the <laughs> But here's the other thing, and you know, and, I, and I've been to plenty of events so far in the last couple of months. It's the, 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 the dirty truth for this, you know, at this moment in time is that there is about a three percent advantage to being at the ballpark, right? Which you know normally it's ninety eight percent. I mean, yeah. you, you know, and it wasn't just the fact that we were trained a certain way, but there would, you wouldn't want to be at home covering something at a ballpark no. unless there was some kind of active god. And because, because why do you want to do it? Because you want to talk to the ballplayers. You want to go to the ballpark. You want a sense of what the ballpark feels like, smells right. like, sounds like, tastes like. Um, you want to know what, what the traffic is like outside. All that stuff, which is the reason why we go to the events, uh, even 30 years into our career, why we enjoy going to these events. And none of that makes a bit of difference anymore. When you're going to a ballpark, you're setting up in a press box for seven hours at a time. You're not allowed to leave the press box. And everybody you talk to, except for the sports writer, you know, 12 feet away from you is being talked to on a Zoom room. Yeah. Um, and the fact is that you can do that every bit as easily at home. And um, I, I hate that. I mean, I, I, I've, I've grown to to, to to adjust and that's just the way the world is right now. And, you know, God, the you know, sports writers having to deal with Zoom rooms is the least... Uh, least right. adjustment that people have had to make
1: in our world the last six months i understand that right yeah but i don't they're... even think i don't even think it's a complaint in that in that way i don't think it's that i think it is it is a direct reflection on how weird sports is i i had this this strange thought uh the other day you and i were there i mean we, along with with you know many thousands of others but we were there when Derek Jeter hit the Mr. November Homer Mm -hmm. in, in the 2001 world series, we were not sitting that far apart from each other actually in the, in the auxiliary box. Um, And Derek Jeter hits the home run and, and, you know, the the game was crazy anyway, because the Yankees were, were down two in the ninth and came back and, and tied it with the home run. And then, and then Jeter wins it. And the place was, You know, you and I, I mean, you've been there more, but both of us have been at Yankee Stadium together many, many times through the years. It was never like that night. Like, that night was something completely different. Then everybody starts singing New York, New York with Sinatra, and then it ends, and then they play it again, and everybody stays and sings, and, and for, I don't know, 45 minutes it felt like people just sang New York, New York over and over and over again in the city. And... Every single thing about that, us being there, uh, us being able to sort of bring what this moment felt like, all those fans, all of it's gone. Every single thing that made that moment amazing is gone. And, and know, if Derek Jeter hit a home run now to win a game in the 11th inning, it'd be like, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's fine. Well, first off, you'd say that's strange. Cause
2: wasn't he wearing his suit in the seventh inning before? Cause he's the owner now,
1: but <laughs> um
2: and, and, but, but no i mean the, the thing about that is um, think about the context of those times too i mean part yeah. of why it was so emotional so powerful it was right is after that 9/11. 11 miles away the, you know, the yes. city was still smoldering yeah. and that was the last great cataclysmic event that i think you know consumed us yeah and 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 out of that as horrible as it was as life changing as it was out of that produced those kinds of moments. We haven't had any of those moments yet for sports or anything else, frankly, Right. Uh, as a result of this, this has just been six months of, of misery. Right. Um, well, I mean, that, that we've that we've learned to try and find a smile here and a laugh here. And, 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 and look, I mean, I, I don't think that sports is an all consuming panacea, but I do think that they've been helpful. I mean, I know they've been helpful to me, but I, but I do think that even, even people who you know who have a you know maybe almost too much perspective and don't want sports to help them out, you know they do allow the occasional venture into okay yeah that that, that that's how life is supposed to be. Um,
1: yeah, I think that's right. I you know and and here's where I've seen it most. I and mean, we talk about you know on this show a lot. We talk about um, you know people. Uh, you know how do you deal with with what's happening? Is it is it fun to watch sports now? Is it you know obviously. Especially in the early days when when everything was up in the air, particularly in baseball, you know you had this feeling of guilt like you know these guys are putting their lives at stake, they're putting themselves in in health risk, whether it's their their lives or not uh you know there there were so many other things going on, and uh, you know and it was hard to enjoy, and I still find it hard at times to enjoy sports the way that we used to because it is strange. And so many of the things that made sports great are not a part of these games and there are no fans. And, you know, you don't hear those roars and that they you know, they give you goosebumps and, and all of those other things. That said, I have to say, and, and it's the weirdest, it's not the sport I would have predicted to do this. Sundays with the NFL are the first sense of normalcy I have felt since, since like the pandemic started. Like, I, could, like- I, could,
2: I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I find myself looking forward to Sundays in a way that I haven't looked forward to Sundays since I was, you know, 11 years old. Right. It, 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 even e- – it, it's easier to pretend even. You know, yes, that, yes. Um, you, you can pretend. I mean, even in the stadiums where there's no people, it feels like there's people. We've always said for years that, you know, the ultimate NFL venture one of these days is that they're just going to play these games in television studios. Right. Right. And, and 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 now we have that. Now, of course, you know we can go into the uh, you the other reality, which is that in New York uh, football Sundays have a whole different meaning than everywhere else because <laughs> they play something that's, you know, under the branding of NFL, but it looks nothing like the <laughs> other thirty teams in football are playing.
1: Right, so that's, right.
2: That's a whole. That's a whole different conversation. Which we will I mean, have. Yes, of course we will. And, and, but, but 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 you know what? I, what I find, and look, a, I I can't tell you how horrible it is to actually have to write about these teams. And thankfully, baseball has kind of you know, rescued me from having to write one word about them the last couple of weeks. But right, but yeah, uh, you know, look, I mean, in, in, in the same way that uh, we've always covered terrible teams, I mean, we'll have our share of fun and you know <laughs> and cheap shots to to take at those at those teams. But yeah, but 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 football in general, I mean, I just you're right. I mean, I, I've never ever ever watched Thursday night games as as often and as regularly as I watch them now. I can't get up. I mean, you know, the, the people who would tell me back. In the day, I wish they would play on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, and Wednesdays too. I'm like, you're really losing your mind. And now I find myself on Tuesdays and Wednesdays saying, man, I can really use a Steelers Browns game.
1: <laughs> you know? we, as we all could. Um, no, I think that's right. And I don't know what it is about the sport. I think part of it, honestly, is yes, of course, the fans play a big role in the game in the sense of they get very, very loud and, and force you know, people to jump off sides and timeouts and and some of the other things that you see. But generally speaking, all of the action is focused on the field. Mm -hmm. And it's not true in in other sports. I mean, like in baseball, we've gotten so used to, you know, three crowd shots between every pitch, basically, right? I mean, Fox particularly had those cutaways. So you're constantly cutting to – you know, especially during the World Series, you're cutting to that woman who's wearing a blanket, who's freezing, who's like 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 chewing on her fingernails because she's so nervous. And right. then you cut to some, you know, guy with his kid, and then you cut to the dugout, and you see somebody in the dugout, and then you cut to a different fan, and then you cut to a famous fan. And so like you're in baseball, we have been we have been really conditioned to constantly think about the crowd, because the crowd is constantly. But in football other than them showing those two people that bring the D and the fence signs with them, they don't show that many they to, fans. They, they the go football. to
2: every game, right? Not, they don't really have a favorite team. They just
1: show up at every game. So they, they, look, they, they're the ones with the D and the fence. I mean, you know, you, there's... <laughs> the, you, the NFL has to keep them going. They travel them around. Um, no, but it's true. You don't... I mean, I, I know they show fans, you know, some, but not really. The focus is very much on the field. So you talk about being able to sort of pretend I just NFL Sundays feel some a little bit different, I think than they normally do, but not, not to the extent that any other sport for me anyway, I, I can watch an NFL Sunday and it just so happens that both of my daughters are now huge NFL fans. And one's a chiefs fan, and one's a Browns fan. So, so I, you know, have them to sort of, you know, watch it with me, but generally speaking, it's like the first time since the pandemic started that I even know what day it is. I'm like, oh, it's Sunday, you know, and here it is. Like it's a weekend, it's Sunday. And, and that used to just, you know, blur together with every other day of the week. I've watched a lot of sports the last
2: couple of weeks and months, you know, partly because it's my job, but you know, partly because like, I'm still a sports fan. I still love sports. So, I mean, sure. And, 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 and it really has been you know, almost like medicine for me uh, to be able to have these things, to you know, not you know, think about the other stuff going on in the world. And I think all four sports have been interesting watches. I mean, hockey looked just like hockey. And yeah. I know why that is, because hockey players, you could take them to a lake in Saskatchewan <laughs> and film it, and it would look exactly the same as the right. Stanley Cup Finals at you know, whatever Maple Leaf Gardens is called now. That's just because that's how hockey thats what hockey players are. They're going to play like it's the Stanley Cup playoffs no matter where they play, and it was it was wildly entertaining. Yeah, it uh, was. actually able to watch that tournament, you know, as kind of a an old, an aging Islanders fan. I knew I wasn't writing about it, so I was able to kind of watch the games, the Islanders games, especially as, as, as a fan. And that was a kind of a unique kind of gift a little bit. And, and yeah. just, it was just a lot of fun. But basketball is different because it, it's so good right now. I mean, yeah. it's jarring how when you look at these guys all make 30-footers after 30-footers. And, and you realize part of that is probably because they don't have to worry about traveling from L.A. to Dallas, you know, every three right. other day, Right. And they don't have to back about the grueling schedule. And so you realize it, 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 it's, a, it's a realization just how good these guys are when they're able to play. Now, I don't want to say optimum conditions because the bubble is nothing optimum about that. But right. But when you're just not always feeling tired, at, you just know, at this time of the year, it's been some. I mean, there's been some spectacular, you know, performances oh that just make you shake your head. But it's also weird because you know, you know then you look up and there's the digital fans on the wall and there's. Yeah. You know, and, and, and nothing about it feels the same. I know they try and make the courts look like the home courts, but it's not. I mean, no. and that's a sport more than any other just because the, the, the size of the buildings and the proximity of the fans that, you know, really have impact. I mean, there's so many games, you know, when Dallas had its early run, when Denver had its run later on. And, you know, you wonder what differences they may have made in series if those games are played at home courts. And it's hard not to think about that. Baseball, you know, because I covered so many games in person – it's weird. I, I don't have a problem watching baseball on TV and thinking that it's kind of similar to what it's supposed to look like. But it was jarring being at these games in person and actually listening to crowd noise in person and seeing nobody at the ballpark in person. Uh, it, it made me admire the ballplayers because it was hard to, to get up to write a column off these games, let alone, you know, play nine innings off these games. And Let me tell you yeah. something that long baseball games without fans feel like they last twice as long. So, I mean, there were some Red Sox Yankees they played this year, which I thought, right? I mean, I really didn't think there was ever going to be an ending to. I mean, you always think that, but, but it really, I mean, I felt that literally this time. And yeah. then we go back to football, and and I think that, you know, you're right. I mean, I, I could spend an entire day on Sunday watching these games, and only occasionally will, will, will I remember, oh, wow, there's only 10,000 people in that yeah. game, and there's nobody at that game, or... Uh, you know these two guys. After that, on this guy's team, and so forth. I mean, it just it allows
1: you to escape from reality. I think in ways that other sports don't let you. I think that's right. I think that's right. I, you know, I look. I have enjoyed the NBA season a lot, but and and it really only occurred to me watching the you know Game Four of the uh, of the of the uh, NBA Finals, and I was watching the game, and you know it, it wasn't a great game, but I mean you, you still you still have so many great players on the floor and, you know, watching, watching LeBron and Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler, and you know, whatever it's, you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, just, just extraordinary, you know, historically great players and you're watching it and it it's the first time that it hit me. This is like watching a video game. Yeah. That's what this is like. Why? It's like watching NBA two K two one. That's exactly what it feels like. It's like those games have become so realistic and this game sort of loses realism because, you know, they're no fans and, and they've got like those weird video things in there and, and they're trying to make the, the place look different, but it isn't different. And that's what I thought. I just thought this is like watching, uh, two really, really good, uh, you know, video gamers, play each other. Uh, that's, that's what it felt like a little bit. And so real life
2: and video games, kind of meeting in the middle. And that's what
1: happens. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So I think that's been weird baseball. You know, I think there's something else about baseball, uh, that, that makes it harder for, I think me. And, and, and I, I imagine this would be something with you as well. We see, you know, you and I, we've covered thousands of baseball games and, going to the ballpark three hours, four hours beforehand uh, to, to write about the game. You watch batting practice and there's nobody in the stands. And you know, there's just this, I like it. There, there are a lot of people who who don't love the whole thing, but I like it. It's leisurely and fun. And, and I love just sitting out there and watching uh, BP, watching everything go, but it doesn't feel like baseball. I mean, it's, it feels like that. And, no matter what they do, I get a I get a little bit of that vibe when there's nobody in the stands. I get a little bit of that BP before the game starts. Nobody's arrived yet. You're still waiting for the game to actually start vibe. and And, you know, it's not the player's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's really nobody. It's a disease's fault, right? It's a virus's fault that we are put in this situation and everybody's doing the best they can. But if we're being honest, as viewers... I just think for whatever reason, football sort of, and I mean pro football, because by the way, college football doesn't feel particularly real to me. And I think, I think part of that is, is college football is 70% the fans, right? 70% the energy of going to LSU or Alabama or Georgia or whatever, which is, you know, basically gone. But pro football feels to me like, and and this is just the way it worked out, it's the best Sort of pandemic sport, I think.
2: Well, the other thing too, you talk about the difference between pro football and college football to me, and I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound like a, you know, a, a moralistic prude here, but every time I watch college football, I, there, there's a part of me that just almost feels guilty because. Oh yeah, well, I agree. You, I don't watch it. You should probably feel guilty anyway, because even in the best of times, these guys <laughs> are playing for free while you know, Nick Same is making a zillion dollars and Dabo's right. making a zillion dollars, and so there's always kind of that that ethical issue on that level. But now you're asking them to play sports, contact sports in the middle of a pandemic for room and board. And I, I just feel a little differently about that than I do about professionals no who go into this with both eyes open and have choices to make and make them and choose to play uh, and, and do so for money. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I, I still watch, you know, I'm, I, I find myself watching Army and Navy more because to me I feel like you know that they at least are playing in bubbles and so aren't you know really putting anybody at risk when they play even if they probably are and they're pro- and look things are, are, are have gotten to the point where I think there are certain programs that have sophisticated enough testing where I think they'll be able to manage uh, in their own little bubbles also but you know, I, I just can't feel the same way about that. Uh, it's, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. No, because I just sure it is, you know, and I, I just can't get at, get, get, I can't get past the fact watching college football right now, uh, that uh, that these kids are playing for our amusement and uh, they're not doing so in a hundred percent safe environment. Well, uh, you know, I'm not sure I, if I'll feel I, the same way if college basketball gets underway just because of the nature of the game, um, and also because it's really the, the one sport I have one passionate rooting interest in. Right, but um, it's. Uh, it, 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 That is the fundamental difference for me. I don't think about that stuff at all. Watching any pro sports because I know the participants are not only getting paid, but they're doing so uh, with the option of of not doing it if they
1: choose to. Absolutely. Well, for me, you know, I I, I, as you all know, Elizabeth, our oldest daughter, is a freshman in college, and uh, and she's uh, you know she's she's studying online. This this you know, so I don't I don't I've got very raw feelings about. Colleges in general, you know, I mean, here in North Carolina, yeah. they obviously opened up the university of North Carolina and then, uh, and then sent everybody home a week later because they weren't prepared for this. And, you know, you hear about these unbelievable positive numbers in, in Madison, Wisconsin, or, or Athens, Georgia, or, or Austin, Texas. And, and you just go, you know, what, when in the heck are we doing here? And look, college football can't escape that. I mean, college football has always sort of been walking that line, like you say, anyway, where it's like, yeah, at, at some point, uh, don't we... I have I used to love college football, and I've given up on it, but that's, that's a whole other topic.
0: Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package.
3: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty-corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday, having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
1: So so here's what I want to talk about. Because we, we got to get in to the to the baseball playoffs and 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 where we are and what we're seeing. But I, I do want to sort of uh talk a little bit about the fact that. Man, it has been a pretty rough run as a New York columnist uh, for the last, what, what are you going to say, 10 years, 15 years? Like, how long? When, when, I mean, I'm not even talking about when it was the last championship. When was the last team that sort of felt like they won over New York?
2: Yeah, a couple of days ago I wrote a column about that topic, and I, I was actually able to figure out the number of days it's been since since we didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> Um and look, I mean, the second Giants Super Bowl was still pretty cool. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as cool as the first one when they beat the undefeated Patriots. I guess that was February of two thousand eight. Right. Like four years later. So February of twelve is when the Giants beat the beat the Patriots. But even that year, now now that 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 you know five or six week stretch where they went from you know seven to seven to Super Bowl champions, right, is exactly what you hope for. It's exactly what makes sports fun to watch, but certainly the cover because it just kind of falls out of the sky. Right. And every day you're able to write about something that's new and interesting and fun and cool. And, and that, so, 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 so it's hard to just kind of exclude that from, from everything else. But if we exclude that from everything else, then starting in 2000 um, really the only exception to that rule is what the Mets did in 2015, uh, which was exactly the same, Blueprint that I was describing with the Giants in 2012, which is, you know, they're right before the training deadline, they look, they look like they're about ready to just fall off the cliff. uh Perfect cannon fodder for a columnist like myself to fire the GM and kill, yes, and fire the manager, and I did all of those things in July of 2015. And uh, love to love to point out that it was only after I did that that the, all these moves got made. I'm not saying I'm taking credit for that now, <laughs> but I'm not, Take,
1: you, you are. You are taking I'm not, credit. You
2: not should. Saying that either. <laughs> um and and you know what that was a that was as fun a ride as I've done because look and look I've covered all of the Yankees championship runs and they were and you know the characters involved are compelling I mean how can you not you know be uh have fun writing about Alex Rodriguez or Derek Jeter or Roger Clemens or any of those guys but after a while you know and it's funny because I I think about this whenever I hear you and Michael talk about Derek Jeter because I'm thinking that you know, I, I do think that I'm part responsible for the cult of Jeter, and in, the sense, in the sense that when you think about all the early columns that had to be written between 1996 and 2013, right, in, in, the, in the postseason, and the Yankees were in the postseason every year, going deep every year, and you know, here we are writing 837 games, so you know, we had to write early columns every day, and how many of those columns were devoted to the intangibles and the, the captain and Oh God, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter. So I, I tend to think that you know, if I'm not necessarily responsible, the early column, which still exists somehow in the realm of the media, <laughs> is probably most responsible for the cult of Jeter. And I'm sure, that, I'm sure, I'm sure there are folks like you guys who like to who like to, to go on, on about Jeter. You know, love now the fact that not only is Jeter back in the playoffs, but now he's got Don Mattingly working for him. Oh my! Of course, gosh. Mattingly is like the Darth Vader father who who spawned Jeter. <laughs> You know, make sure, make sure you always run hard because you never know who's watching. I know that drives people crazy. Yeah, but, no, it does. But I digress. But, you know, as great as those things were, I mean, it was, you know, after a while it's hard to find freshness. Even if, you know, I think even Yankee fans were tired of that team even as good as they were. It's always when you have this team that kind of falls out of the sky, and I'm talking about like those 2015 Mets. This predates 2010, but the Rex Ryan Jets, who were just a blast to cover. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think anybody thought that they were watching Vince Lombardi when they were watching Rex Ryan. <laughs> well, you know, Rex those, did. But, Rex thought they were yeah, watching Rex Vince did, Lombardi. But,
0: but,
2: <laughs> he saw he saw Lombardi in the mirror, but nobody else saw him anywhere else. But those teams were just fun to write about. I mean, I don't care if you hate the Jets; you read about them because they were fun to write. They, they, they were just fun. Um, you know, look. I mean, part of the problem when you're a columnist in New York now is just how awful basketball has been. Oh my god! Basketball means so much to the fabric of the city and the culture of the city. And look, I mean specifically the Knicks because they've been so horrible for so long. And look, I started with I started the post in two thousand and two. I have covered so that's eighteen years. I've covered one significant Knicks postseason run, and it lasted two series. Think about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
2: that's how dry it's been. And basketball, specifically the Knicks, are so much a part of of what the of what New York is supposed to be. I mean, I'm still old enough to remember. You know, in my previous paper, the Star Ledger. I cover a lot of good Knicks teams. And, you know, people don't believe this, but even after the Yankees started winning championships, and as much of a baseball town as New York is, baseball season in New York didn't start until the day after the Knicks were eliminated, whether that was in April or June or whenever. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, we try and replicate that a little bit with the Nets. And certainly next year, when Durant is playing in Brooklyn and Kyrie is playing in Brooklyn and You know, we're going to try and replicate how important basketball is, but it's still Brooklyn. And I love – I happen to like the Nets. I mean, I grew up as much a Nets fan as a Knicks fan. um, I I, I admire what they've done there, you know, kind of building it out of the dust. But it's always going to be kind of off-Broadway. The Knicks are Broadway, for better or worse. We hate ourselves for it because we all hate the owner. We hate everything about the fact that Madison Square Garden gets these enormous tax breaks at a time when the city is falling apart. And yet the Knicks are really the, you know, know, one of the central elements of our existence, even when they're terrible. And that kind of lends kind of a malaise to everything else, I think, you know, and, you know, sure, we can talk about the football team and how terrible both teams are this year and how terrible both teams have been for the last five or six years and will probably be for the next couple of years to come. Um, And the Mets are kind of a kind of a hot and cold joke and they've got a new ownership. So that's kind of a new story. But, you know, so much about what sets the agenda and the mood for New York revolves around basketball because it remains a basketball city. And uh, that really doesn't help. When the Knicks are not just bad, but just epically bad for 20 years. Oh my God. 20 years, Joe, 20 <laughs> years.
1: <laughs> well, it's so interesting. You know, we, we talked about 2001, uh, that, that world series. I remember the 98 world series series. So vividly, you know, and and that was one where the the you know the the Yankees were were utterly dominant uh, all year, won 100 and what 14 games or whatever it was, and 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 blew through the postseason. And I just remember being in New York, and that was a time when Bill Parcells was the Jets coach, right? Jeff Van Gundy was the Knicks coach, uh, and Valentine's man, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Bobby Valentine with the Mets—that's right. And that city was just a sporting—I mean, it was explosive. How? How? I mean, and it was not even—you know—of course, the Yankees always had their 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 place in in New York or whatever. But like, everything was 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 popping then, right? Everything. So the whole city just felt like this. The, I mean, it it just felt like Broadway every day in sports, you know, the back cover of the post and the daily news was just, it was, you know, it felt like the center of the sporting world uh, because, you know, the, not only, not only were the teams great, obviously the, 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 the Yankees were ridiculously good, but like you had stars everywhere, right? Like you just had just, it just was a perfect New York time. And honestly, it feels exactly the opposite now. It feels yeah. like you don't know who any of the coaches are. You don't care. It's like nothing feels there, are, you know, the the stars, I mean the Yankees certainly have stars, but they're not really kind of I mean judges, I guess, to some degree, but but they're not like they're not tried and proven Yankee stars for, 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 for several years and and uh and it just I, I don't know, the whole city just feels different to me, you know?
2: It does. And look, I mean, when I was a young columnist, uh, just kind of breaking into to doing it, I was doing it at the Newark Star-Ledger, and, um, but was still covering a lot of New York. So between, between 1998, say, and 2001, you had the Yankees winning the World Series every year. You had the Giants made the Super Bowl. The Jets made the AFC Championship game. The Knicks made the NBA Finals. The Devils made back-to-back Stanley Cup finals, won one of them in an epic series against against the Stars. Absolutely. And, you know, we, in, 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 there was a Subway series for the first time in 40-some-odd years. The Mets were actually good pretty regularly in those years. And, you know, as we tend to do in these things, we also, because we can do these things, we also decided we were going to adopt Tiger Woods too. And it <laughs> so happened that, like, every time there was a big tournament involving Tiger, he was our guy. And so it always it almost felt like even though, you know, he never spent a moment as a citizen of New York. He was ours. And, you know, it was. it I look back on those days and I just remember just thinking, my God, is this what it's like all the time? This is great. And it's funny, it was two years later that I moved to the post. And, you know, it, at a time when if we had those kind of teams, this would have been the most glorious kind of buffet table the last, you know, 15, 16, 17 years that I've been doing it. Right. And I find myself every six months having to check in with the. Yeah, here's how badly we've been doing lately, and here's where <laughs> we are now. And man, and thats and see. Here's the thing, you know, people. You know, it allows me to talk about, about one of the great misconceptions that I think there is about, certainly, I think about the media in general, but specifically about tabloid media. People love to tell you, "Oh, you just—you love this. You love the negative. You write. You love. You love firing people. You love killing people. You're all about the negative. You're all about selling papers. You're all about clicks." Well, two things. Well, yes, we are about selling newspapers, and guess what? We are about clicks because we like to stay in business. <laughs> Well, there is nothing that sells more newspapers than when the Mets are in the World Series. Of course. There is nothing that clicks before, to the point where people are breaking their computers more than the Giants being in the Super Bowl. There is nothing better for business than good news. So we're about good news. We just don't have a lot to report these days. <laughs> and, and that's the problem is the fact, you know, people think, well, you're so negative. It's like, well, t- take a look around yeah you know I think we're, you know we're, we're not Pollyanna here I mean we're, we're taking a look for the same kind of prism you are and this is what we see you know right. you get to boo we don't get to boo we get to fire boo. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of like our our way of dealing with things is that's what that's what we're supposed to do I don't like firing guys I mean I would love it if we had every competent coach in every sport, collecting is one in New York City, but we just happen not to. Yeah, no, look,
1: I mean, obviously in New York, it's a whole other thing. But you, as you all know, uh, I had a very long stretch in Kansas City oh, where it was nothing but losing or heartbreak, right? There was no, there was, it was, there were no championships. So it was either the team was good enough to get in the playoffs and lose, which was usually the chief situation, uh especially in the 90s although in the 2000s they they mostly stunk and then uh the royals were terrible every single year and and then you had all these college you know heartbreaks you know Kansas uh, losing constantly Kansas state getting close to the you know whatever and you know people would say to me like man you know do you, you you wouldn't know what to do if the team won. And it's like, no, I'd know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would, that would, be a lot better. You know, it would be a lot better. It's like, you write what you write, you write what's in front of you, you write what you, what, what you're facing. But you know, it's sort of the same thing that people be like, Oh man, comedians, you know, won't know what to do uh, when, when, you know, Trump is out of office or politically. They'll figure it they'll, out. You know I mean? Yeah. It's like, they'll, they'll figure it out. People have been funny
2: for 2,000 years. They'll keep being funny. Um, <laughs> I, I do sometimes wonder, Joe, if you have voodoo dolls of Sam Ellinger and Vahi Gregorian. Oh, my gosh. Who both my have gosh. now been able to write about both Chiefs Super Bowl champion <laughs> and a World Series Royals champion in the last five years. Meanwhile, you wrote a whole lot of columns about Tony Muser.
1: Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> I, I actually was talking. So Vahi Gregorian is uh, – and Sam Mellinger, Mellinger are uh, the two columnists there, and Sam uh, and I work together at the Star Forever. Vahé uh, used to work in St. Louis, and we've been, we're we're very very good friends, and have been for for many many years. Um, and I actually had a call with Vahé the other day. We were doing something, and I said, you know, it's not just that the Royals won a World Series after 15 years of of being terrible uh, for me. Uh, it's not just that the Chiefs won a Super Bowl after you know. 15 years of them either being terrible or being good enough to, to, to blow it in the postseason. season. Um, the chiefs have, you know, I think the best quarterback in the NFL, the best, most exciting young quarterback in the game, even though there are plenty of other really good ones and, and, and all of that, but have like this unbelievable superstar, Patrick Mahomes. And you all know this, that was my column. Five times a year, every single year was that the Chiefs needed to get a quarterback. Like every single year I'd be like, they need to draft a quarterback and develop one. They they just they cause they kept at that point they were they they just went out every single time to get some sort of worn out backup quarterback. Uh some who turned out okay, like Trent Green, but that's what he was. Um uh, but Elvis Gerbach and 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 Trent Green and Rich Gannon and all of these guys that were backups elsewhere, um, uh, they they went out there and and got and I'm like, just once, can you just get a young quarterback and develop one, just one time? And they never did. And then I leave, and then they're like, how about we get Patrick Mahomes? How would well, that? I think, be? That, that, I, think
2: that, I think that in the same way that I can take credit for the 2015 Mets going to the World Series. You can ultimately take credit for the for the, uh, the Chiefs finally giving credit to Patrick Mahomes. So, congratulations. That's, that's, uh, yeah, I
1: don't think I'm gonna get a whole lot of, I don't think I'm gonna get a whole lot of credit for that. All right, we got uh we got this weird playoffs in baseball going on right now, and we're through the first round, which was, I don't know. I mean, did you get? I I just thought the whole thing was just weird. A bunch of three game series between mostly mediocre teams. Uh. It didn't feel like the playoffs to me. It felt like some sort of weird sideshow, but we're through it. What what did you think of the first round in general?
2: Well, I think if there had been a terrible injustice, like, you know, the eight seed taking out the Dodgers right, or something like that, there really was. I mean, there were a couple of upsets. And I know people are going to be very upset by the fact that the Astros – continue to survive, continue to win Jeez. and sure look like they're going to not only just win another world series, but probably go undefeated on the way. Of them. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be a lot of fun?
1: Well, here's the thing. I let me say this. Let me say this. Cause I, I just had this conversation uh, yesterday with, with a, with an Astros uh, fan. Uh, I, look, I, I'm like everyone else. I don't want the Astros to win, but, but I do want Dusty Baker to win. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. love Dusty Baker understand. as, as anybody who knows him does. And uh if he wins, he he's that's it. That's his Hall of Fame lock. I I I think he'd have a real shot anyway, but uh he wins the World Series. I don't care if it's in this weird year uh where it doesn't really count or whatever. If he wins the World Series with the Astros, which by the way, if he won the World Series, it would be just a perfect Dusty Baker moment for the Astros to not bring him back next year. Like, that's <laughs> like like right, like that's been his whole career, like oh, we're the reds and we're terrible. Oh, now we're good. Let's fire dusty. It's going to be terrible again. Um, but, but look, and I get all of the people I get that dusty is not exactly, uh, not exactly Earl Weaver, you know, in, 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 in the, you know, game management and all these other things, but check out dusty Baker's baseball life. I mean, that's a hall of fame life. It It sure is. Yeah. And, and so if they win, that would be my my saving grace which is why they won't so Hi. so cuz eventually they're going to play they i think they'll probably play the yankees and and people are like well if, if the astros play the yankees you have to root for the for the uh for the yankees right you can't root for the astros no no i will i that i will definitely want the astros to win for dusty which is why the yankees will win if
2: the so astros play that, that, the, the-, the yankees people might actually root for the virus <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's about right. So so anyway, so there were no big injustices in the first round, but it just I don't know. I mean, look, it scares me that that there are people in baseball that want this to be a yeah. permanent thing.
2: Yeah, me too, Joe. Here, here's the thing: I think in this season, I think I, I, I had absolutely zero problem with them going to that. Agreed. Because Agreed. to me, it was sixty games to eliminate fourteen teams. Okay, right. and that's fair. And look, 60 games isn't enough to do that. So you're giving everybody every option to get there. I mean, and to me, to, to me, it was, a, it was a perfect balance because, you know, in New York, we had the Mets and we kept saying, oh, my God, the Mets are still in this, even <laughs> though the entire year the Mets never won more than three games in a row. And even though that was the case up until Saturday, way yeah. before the end of the season, there was still a, a fair mathematical chance the Mets were going to be able to figure out a way to get in the playoffs. So to me, to to, to eliminate dog ass teams like the Mets, it was worth it to have the 60-game season to eliminate the 14. And then, yes, it was, you know, to, to me, it's you know, I don't like two out of three series in baseball because there's too many, you know, tangibles. And one of the things that I was worried about if the Mets got in the playoffs, is they you know, draw the top seed, they're able to throw Jacob deGrom in game one. Oh my God, the Mets are halfway to, to doing this, which is right. just unjust in baseball yeah. That shouldn't be that easy. Um, so to, 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 to me, I had no problem with the, with the expanded playoffs this year. But the problem is that every time someone like you or me says something nice about that, you get a feeling that somebody in, in, in the baseball ether is recording that and feeding it to <laughs> Mr. Manfred and saying, they love it, they love it, they love it, they love it, they want more, more, more. And I think that there was a, a, as perfect a solution as the 16-team playoffs were in a 60 game season, it would be the exact opposite calamity to play 162, or even if you reduce it to 154, to play a long baseball season to eliminate fewer than half the teams yeah. is an absurdity beyond measure. And I'm, I mean, and look, I mean, I don't really like the fact they were going to add the extra team anyway, but I, I can live with that. I mean, if, if we're talking about compromises, I can actually live with that. And look, I'm also a guy who's tried to be very open-minded about everything baseball has done this year, Joe. I have to be honest with you. Um, after a while, the seven-inning doubleheaders did not bother me even a little bit. In fact, me either. Me I thought either. they were, I, I, I thought they were an incredible gift to people who, you know, especially because we needed to play doubleheaders this year. Yeah. Um, and I, as much as it crushes me to con- conceive this, and I, I didn't. Think to, I didn't feel like the world was ending whenever an extra inning game started, and there was a guy on second base. Now my ideal, my ideal situation is playing a 10th inning straight, play an 11th inning with a guy on first base. And then when you get to the 12th inning, then you go and play your crazy game. But it didn't bother it didn't bother me. In fact, I actually went four extra inning games this year, right? Because I wanted to see it. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that because everything I was ever taught about being you know a baseball fan that seems to run counter to that. But that's just the way. So I, I, I don't think that I'm against progress, but I think I'm against stupidity. And I think that a 16-team playoff in a regular year would be nothing short of lunacy.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with everything you said. Everything you said. I, look, I, I would not have any problem at all with them bringing seven-game doubleheaders. First of all, I miss the doubleheader. I miss the scheduled doubleheader. I mean, and that's purely nostalgia, it's purely because that was my dad when there was a doubleheader. That that basically I would say we would go to the ballpark once a year, maybe twice a year. Uh that's what we could afford. And my dad made sure he would get his money's worth. So we would go to doubleheader days. That was that was part of the part of the deal. So it's like, you know, and so I have a very, very soft spot in my heart for the doubleheader. And not like the rain out doubleheader, the actual but- scheduled doubleheader. And, uh, I don't think you could do it anymore. I don't think you could do nine inning. You can't schedule nine inning double headers anymore. It's, it's too much. And, and these players are already, uh, stretched out, you know, pitching staffs are stretched out all of those other things, but you could do seven inning double headers. You could yeah. absolutely do it. And, you know, and look, I, I love the stats and all that, but I mean, I, I think having, having a, where you're allowing the stats to uh to not change the game for the better i think is is where it, it i have a problem so i would have no problem with them bringing the 7 i think the three pitcher uh the three batter limit uh, minimum has been good for the game i i, I have it. not i, agree. I haven't Fantastic. right have you felt yeah. it at yeah. all i mean it's yeah. like it's like okay so now i don't have to watch the tony larusa bring in the lefty and then take him out right away i I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't miss it one bit. So, and I'm fine with the extra inning thing. The thing that I've always said about extra innings, and I've said it on this podcast too, the thing I've said about extra innings is everybody loves the theory of extra innings, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> like everybody like, oh, I love those 17 inning yeah. uh, extra innings where you have to bring in position players to be. No, you don't. <laughs> you you don't. love that idea. I love the
2: idea, until You're actually watching... <laughs> You know, uh, Nick Swisher trying to throw, you know, trying to throw a strike. Right. You,
1: you love place. watching it the next day. The highlight of Nick Swisher, th- you know, you don't love nine scoreless innings of just like nonsense. And the re- the way you know is you watch a ballpark when uh, a game ends after nine innings when it's still tied. You watch them swarm out. They're not. That's not a group of people going yes, free baseball. There are a few that are saying that. But uh, there are plenty, and they're going, hey, I, I paid for nine innings. That's all I want. Oh, it's, so- the same,
2: it's, it's the same thing with doubleheaders, too. And, look, I mean, I know that we can't expect fans to look through the prism of, of sports writer eyes. But, you know, as a sports writer, I mean, I know you get the same thing. People always ask, hey, what's the best part of being a sports writer? What's the worst part of being a sports writer? And that second question is always a tie between realizing that a doubleheader now scheduled for Tuesday and, oh, my God, I've got to work <laughs> Tuesday i've got a double header schedule and that's always tied with when you're covering the us open and some idiot makes a 10 footer on 18th, 70 second hole and all of a sudden you realize you got to stay in tulsa for an extra day (laughs) so that's always the all-time tie between the two worst things about being a sportsman Um,
1: yeah yeah let me let me say that since you brought it up uh people have asked me what's the loudest cheer you've ever heard in your life (laughs) there is no question no question and and it's not even close. Like everybody's like oh, you know, was it was it when Rulon Gardner won at the Olympics? Was it at the <laughs> you know at the Super Bowl when they stopped him at the two yard line? The loudest cheer by far that I ever heard was June of nineteen ninety nine in Pinehurst, North Carolina, <laughs> when we all were like, "We're here for another day," and Payne Stewart made that putt to beat Mickelson to to end it, so we could all go home. That press box, I mean, I don't know. It was like jet level decibels yeah. in that press box but the, when, when Pete Stewart made that. The exact
2: meeting. opposite was the next yes. year when Retief Goosen misses a three footer to, to send us all home. <laughs> three
1: footer? That thing was like two inches.
2: We've I, I, got to shorter next every year. To stay another day in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> and then Goosen, the most boring person on the planet, wins anyway.
1: Oh, <laughs> that was that was that was a wonderful stretch. We were there in Tulsa, both of us. That was a wonderful <laughs> stretch because if you remember, uh, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody before Goosen missed like a, yeah. a two inch putt, yeah. Um, Stuart, and, and then Stuart it, Sink, I think it was Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink, it was, it was Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink missed a very, very short putt, I think. Maybe to tie, I can't remember. To get in, and uh, to get in the playoff for sure. Yeah. I think that's right, to get in the playoffs. He missed a very short putt, and all of us sort of had this like, I hope Retief Goosen wasn't watching that. He, <laughs> needs to, like, he needs to make his very, very short putt so we can go home, and he did not make it. <laughs> and then played the next day in the most boring playoff in the history of, of golf, uh, which, he, which he did win. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, but yes, yes, you were so you were saying.
2: No listen meaning is mean, that's kind of to emphasize how awful doubleheaders are. 9-inning doubleheaders. Um, yeah. and, and, and of old. course then, then you have the worst of all time which is the day night doubleheader which
1: which which nobody likes. <laughs> which is um, nobody likes. So you don't even if you're a fan who actually wants to be a doubleheader you can't. You got to buy two tickets. Yeah. That that stinks. It's, that just whole brutal.
2: thing stinks. It's just brutal. So,
1: yeah, so yeah, so I'm all for it. I'm all for it.
2: You know and, and look I mean like, like I said I, th- I think maybe there might have been more of a backlash if there was a if there was a bad outcome from the first round and I suppose that maybe you know some of these teams might tell you it was a bad outcome I mean the, right. the your Indians were the higher seed of that uh, of that uh, a particular series although I don't think anybody thought they were the better team um, right but, but but you know the Marlins the Marlins winning' like, is, right the Marlins winning that's which 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 is which is a whole different story but um, look at me but but, but yeah, it's the same in, 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 in the course of a regular year, you have these two one game playoffs, too, which people will go back and forth about how fair or unfair they are. Right. I think that's incredibly fair, but that's you know, to, 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 to me, I mean, when, when you're putting like the number the best team in baseball in the same kind of peril as the worst team in baseball,
1: right? That's right.
2: bad, that's a bad system, which is what you don't have in every year. You don't have you know, 105 team, first place team you know having their season come down right away to a to a
1: to a 2 out of 3 they do a best out of 2 out of 3 with with you know with a with a very mediocre team right. at best at best a very mediocre team and maybe a bad team um you know so i want to talk about our our matchups now but um i have to bring this up what what do you even say to a minnesota twins fan at this <laughs> point what do you even say like it's been it's been mike uh, Mike Shore and I have written uh, and talked about a great deal of the Yankees dominance over the over the uh, Twins and and how ridiculous it is. But 17 playoff games in a row. They've lost 17 playoff games in a row. I'm sorry, at some point I mean look, I, I, a lot of it's everything is random chance, everything is this, everything is that. But at some point you 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 have to feel cursed.
2: And I've seen just about all of those games. <laughs> yeah, you have. Almost, almost all of them have come <laughs> against the Yankees, and
1: I can tell you that every one of those losses was earned on merit. Because oh my God, it's they, it's true. They what about the one game? Remember the one game that they that they were up like five runs in the first inning or whatever. <laughs> they had a chance to put the Yankees away and they didn't.
2: Yeah, I mean when, they, when there was a wild card game where they were where they scored three runs in the, in, the, in the top of the first. And they right. didn't even make it to the second inning
1: with the lead. Which is, which is <laughs> no, crazy. and they left there the was, guys on base. I that was the one I remember. I most. mean,
2: there was the one game where uh, I forget even the umpire who it was, but the guy was from Jersey. And he screwed up the call down the line, and, and and you know they should have beaten the Yankees the Yankee Stadium. <laughs> and of course, that even matters because I mean, you know, there are the the outlier close games, but my my memory of the Yankees playing the Twins is that it's always like seven to three, and some yeah. awful reliever who, of course, is coming off a real hot streak during their. <laughs> last three weeks of September comes in and allows, you know, a basis clearing double to Gio Urshela. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. it's just preposterous. And, you know, after a while, I mean, I, I look, I, I get it. I mean, fans, fans, you know, want their teams to be in the playoffs. That's all, the only reason why you root for your teams. But after a while that's just got to become exhausting. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I can remember, you know, like I said, I went to school near Buffalo. So I know a lot of Buffalo Bills fans who, you know, by year four, we're like dreading them going to the Super Bowl. And I thought to myself, <laughs> think about what you're saying. You're dreading going to the Super Bowl. What's wrong with you? I guess you can got to understand that. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's
1: kind of like almost Stockholm syndrome. You know, it's like. It's, oh, yeah. No, I, that's how I felt the third time the Browns went to the AFC Championship yeah. game against Denver. I mean, yeah. it was like, like you know, and that that's the one nobody remembers. I mean, they, they got blown out pretty good. They weren't very good by that point. But it was like, do I really need to see this again? I've seen this. I, I, I know how this looks. If you're a Twins fan, yeah, you you go to the playoffs and and look at this point, just have fun with it, Twins fans. I mean, really, there's there's nothing you can do about that, you but know. Even, I mean, Eventually,
2: this this year seemed almost too cruel because you know you find you it did you wind up against the most hated team in baseball, and you know they they seem vulnerable because they didn't even have a winning record during the season. They weren't oh, good. Oh, That's oh, right. Oh, by the way, and you know. You, and then the way that first game turned with the with with the, with the error and all of a sudden, of course, the floodgates Ugh. opened, and it's almost like thanks Minnesota because it was like that moment when they when they when they botched that play at second place second base in the ninth inning, all of a sudden the Astros were like, oh right, we're the Astros. <laughs> oh, so that, that's right. This is, this is October. Oh, okay, all right, we're here, and that's yeah. what we've gotten because I mean, I'll tell you what the, the team we've seen in Oakland the first two games of that series that looks like the Astros team I saw a lot the last couple of years. Well, Houston, that's they what I don't I'm have a pitching and there's no Verlander and there's no Cole. I get it, Um, but man, they sure look like they, they they were familiar with the terrain.
1: Well, they're just crushing the ball. I mean, you know, look, and and it's so funny to hear them because of course, you know, you had that quote the other day where they were talking about you know not being household names. They're household names. I mean, it's like it's George Springer and Alex Bregman and and and. uh, and Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley and Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa, who's, like, now, like, he remembered how great he was, you know? It's like he, like, it's, Correa had, like, this stretch of time where, you know, everybody was saying he's the next big thing in baseball, next big thing in baseball. And he was terrible this year. Like, here's he a, was, he was awful. Here's the and tr- then he comes into the playoffs and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm Carlos Correa. I'm here's the the thing. Player.
2: You know, all we do is complain about how in the modern game, we don't, we don't know the tr- Teams year to year. Think about it. We've known this team basically in its entirety, you know, the core anyway, since 2015. That's five years ago. Yeah. And and, and we watched them just suffer the most awful loss you can possibly suffer against the Royals in Game Four. Of that game. I mean, <laughs> it, was an, it was an impossible to lose game, and they lost. You it. can't lose that game. You and can't somehow. Lose it. And look, I mean, and look, we like to think that our championship teams are forged by disappointment, right? And that team was that team lost the worst game imaginable in October. And two years later, they won the World Series. They become this perennial power, and none of it is going to be remembered for anything other than the fact that there were that, that, that some idiots were, were beating a baseball bat against a garbage <laughs> can. It's a I mean, garbage can, which is you know, which, which is which, which 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 is almost tragic if you think about the fact that this is a team that really should be. I'm not saying it should be celebrated. There were a lot of things that you really aren't ever going to celebrate from tanking, which is a whole different conversation. Right. To, right. For the way they treated you know that. There was the sports writers last year in the aftermath of the victory and so forth. There, there are a lot of contemptible things to be good to go along with the Astros even before you get to the, to, 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 the scandal. But man, it's, you know, just from a pure baseball standpoint, it's a team you'd really like to be able to celebrate with a clear conscience and just can't seem to be able to do it.
1: No. And you know what? I mean, there was a time where you thought a lot of those players were super likable. I mean, Springer's likable and, and Altuve's likable and Bregman's likable. Those are all likable guys, uh, until now, and now nobody likes any
2: Although now that the Mets have a new owner with deep pockets, uh, as soon as he gets approved, it's going to be—it's going to—it's be, going to be amazing to see just how likable George Springer becomes around November seventeenth <laughs> or eighteenth or so when uh, when he comes in for his campus visit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that is that is a fact.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break, alley to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals Game 5 and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West, and everywhere in between. Like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card.
1: All right, so they appear like they're going to, They're. I mean, they're up to, to uh, zero at this point. I mean, by the time this is out there, we'll know. But I, I mean, I, I can't see the A's coming back
2: because um, the A's are kind of a miniature version of the twins, don't
1: forget. They, right, right, right. Well, I mean <laughs> they're sort of the original, right? They're the money ball. <laughs> they're right. the money ball. My 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 stuff doesn't work in the playoffs team. Um and that's too bad because that A's team is is like they're really good, I think. But I think it's gonna be Astros. The Yankees at this moment are it's one one with the Rays. What are you seeing in that series?
2: I, I really didn't go either way. I mean, I think that game three is gonna be critical. I think whoever wins game three is gonna win the series. I just think it's going to be hard to win two in a row, uh, yeah. on either side, um, especially if 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 it's, if it's, if it's uh, you know if 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 the if the, you know, the Rays have to beat uh, Cole in Game Five, I know it'll be on short rest, but I think he'll be able to rise to that. But uh, I mean, we can spend like just just thirty seconds on just how much fun it is to watch the Rays do what they do, because yeah. I mean they're on like they're like third wave of bullpen pitchers, and yet all these guys come in and throw a hundred mi- and one miles an hour. Um, you think about just how they just, I mean, the the, the heist with the, uh, with the pirates deal where they get glass now and they get it's in meadows. I mean, the, they're, they're, so such a well-run organization and their farm system is stocked. And it just seems like, you know, they figure it out. They won, you know, look, we, we've written sonnets about the, uh, the Red Sox who won 67% of their games two years ago. Guess what? That's what the Rays did this year. And they're the Rays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and in some ways, I think, I think they're almost victimized by this crazy little off season thing because, you know, they really shouldn't have to face the Yankees in the, in the best of five. No. When they've no. the Yankees, that should be a best of seven, but that's just the way that the schedule plays itself out. But uh,
1: Right. And I think that's a team that would have done really well over a long season. I, I don't think that, you know, they they dealt with a lot of injuries and they kind of played through them. They're just so smart, but I th- I think we have, there's something else we have to talk about. And that is, that Giancarlo Stanton is five for fifteen in this play, in these, in this postseason, and all five hits are home runs,
2: and all five have gone farther than the one before. I mean, the, <laughs> I know what, what an absurdity
1: way, that guy. Sometimes
2: is. TV doesn't translate well in terms. When you're at the ballpark and you see a ball struck like that, you know it's been struck. But even on TV, I mean, sometimes it gives be an optical illusion. It looks like it's it's a tip instead of the bat, I mean, just the sound and sight of that swing. You knew where it was going and it was just amazing to see where it landed. I mean, it's, it, it was almost, you know, you talk about video games. That was a video game home run.
1: Well, he's, he's absurd. He's an absurdity, but here's the thing. He's played 41 regular season games in the last two years. Right. Right. You know I mean? It's like, you forget. I mean, the Yankees have had to do it so much of it without him. You and, forget. And then suddenly he's like, Oh yeah. Playoffs come around. Here's Stanton. And you're like, Oh yeah! Every time that guy hits the ball in the air, it's a home run every single time.
2: That's the weird thing about the Yankees the last couple of years, though, is that you know he, he's been he's been absent. Judge has been absent. He almost forget been absent. Yeah. That this that when these guys are healthy, that they're I mean they really you know I hate to use the word juggernaut, but I'm going to use it because they are a juggernaut. From they, they are their, they're ridiculous. The classic circular lineup, but the problem is, it's they've been absent so 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 long that you get used to watching. Yankees teams that have Mike Talkman in left field and have you know Mike Ford and all these guys and it, it, it's it's a, it's a credit to, I mean look it's a credit to Brian Cashman that you know two key elements of the Yankees right now are Luke Voigt and uh, Gio Urshela and who in the yeah. world ever saw them becoming you know you know replacement players let alone you know the the, the well, stars wow. that come with the Yankees and then you mean know, and he was a better player than those guys but. They're signing DJ LeMahieu when, you know, kind of off the of scrap heap. It's just absurd when you see that guy. Every time you look around, he's, he's he's got a big hit. He's he's doing something right. He's like one of the best players in baseball. And they got him, you know, basically you know, th- them and the Mets were going after him or Jed Lowry. And guess who won that uh,
1: sweepstakes? <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. Well, of course they won it because they're the Yankees. Mike and I, Mike Schur and I are absolutely predicted uh, Superstardom for Luke Voigt and Gino and Giorgella and DJ Lemayhew and everybody else that they get because they're the Yankees and and stuff happens. The Lemayhew thing is is really truly staggering, and and the reason it's so staggering is the the knock on Lemayhew was look he's going to be a good defensive second baseman, but he couldn't hit in Colorado <laughs> at the end, right? Like that was the knock. The knock was. You know, he hit the. You know, he had an 88 OPS plus his last year in Colorado, a 93 OPS plus his second last year. He only had one year in his entire uh, time in Colorado, which was a a long period. I mean, it was there. He was there seven years. Yeah. He only had one year where he had a better than average OPS. Uh, you know, when you when you you know better than average OPS plus when you take into account the ballpark, so it was clear like. The guy, is he's a solid player. He's a terrific defensive second baseman, but he can't hit. And then he comes and he wins a freaking batting. He could be the MVP this year. I mean, it was it's ridiculous. The guy hit three sixty-four, and I know it's only in 50 games, but last year he hit three twenty-seven and, and slugged five hundred, uh, scored
2: 100 runs and drove in 100 unless runs. Unless I forget I, that, uh, that, that that in Game 7, I mean, there was another home run that obscured it, but or Game 6, rather, against the Astros. he—you know, He tied yep. that game. And the ninth inning with a home run. So it's unbelievable. He also on I mean, a rise to the moment, too. I mean, he's done that a
1: lot. Yeah, the, guy is, the guy's become a superstar. And it's like, of course, it's the Yankees. That's just, you know, if he'd gone to the Mets and Jed Lowry gone to the Yankees, Jed Lowry would be the MVP.
2: Of, there, of, there is uh, no question about that. It's <laughs> it's, and you know, I, I, I know that drives Yankee haters insane. But the funny part is, yeah, it does. invariably, it's the Yankee haters who bring that up.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No. Well, what else are we going to do? Other, other than that, we're going to, we're just going to, we're just going to, yeah, I, I you guess
2: know, we'll call garbage. that Scott Broch's syndrome, right? Just a guy who needs <laughs> 201 for you, but then he hits, you know, everything in sight
1: for us. That's the way. And then as soon as he leaves the Yankees, he becomes bad again. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's just, I remember there was Aaron Guile. Remember Aaron Guile? <laughs> yeah. Aaron Guile comes to the Yankees and he had like a, you know, he did not actually end up being a full fledged Gio or shallow or whatever, but he came to the Yankees and had like a three or four week period where he just was killing them mm-hmm. all. And I came up and he, you know, he had just left the Royals. And so I went over to talk to him and he's like, I don't know, man. It's like, you put on these, this uniform and you look across the way and there's Derek Jeter and you're like, Hey, I'm good. I mean, like, it's like some <laughs> weird, like, like hypnosis thing.
2: Well, I think, you, I, I think you and I always speculated that Tony Muser, who we both liked a great deal, but also realized, that he was probably one of the worst guys who's ever been a manager ever. But then if he would have gotten, if somehow fate would have intervened and he would have gotten a chance to manage the Yankees. Oh yeah. That suddenly he would have been Joe McCarthy reincarnate.
1: There's no, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's what happened to Casey Stengel. And Joe right? and
2: Casey, and Casey,
1: Casey Stengel and Joe Torrey are both clowns until they come to the Yankees. You know? Exactly. All right. So I think the Yankees are going to beat the Rays, even though I think the Rays are better. I think they're a better team all in all. Uh, but they're not better. Like it, they, they don't feel to me to be as, as well suited, uh, as the Yankees do for a short series. So I think it's Yankees Astros, but we'll see, obviously I mean, anything can happen. The national league. I mean, I, it, it nobody's going to beat that Dodgers no. team. Are they? I mean,
2: it's funny. We, 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 have a mutual friend, Les Carpenter who's a big Dodgers fan. And I, right. I, I texted him, uh, after that beginning last night in game one, and I said, boy, it must be fun to be a Dodgers fan. And he, you know, what he, what he said is someone who's you know, maybe the only the wonder of a fan can have. He's like, you know, it's just so hard to get 27 outs against these guys. And but it really is. I mean, you know, it is after it a while, is. you got to figure out a way to get these guys out all about four times. And how right. are you going to do that? And they have just, they have, they have terrific pitching. So you're not going to have to win a lot of shootouts. Um, but 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 we've seen them year after year after year, and of course now they've added Mookie Betts, which is you know this was just 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 what everybody wanted was the Dodgers to have a you know super duper right. star on right. the team. Right, right, right. I'm at. I mean, look, if, if not this year, when? I, that that's kind of the way I look at it with the Dodgers.
1: Well, you know, I I we have a, another mutual friend, Jonathan Abrams, who's a huge Dodgers fan, and and uh, I get texts from him all the time, but he's he's like, so one of the big complaints that we've always had on this podcast is Yankee fans who who take for granted what it is to be a Yankee fan. And, and you know, they basically, they just don't understand ever why the Yankees lose. And like Jonathan sort of represents the opposite of Dodger, like a Dodger fan. Who's like the exact opposite, which is it's never good enough. It's like, like, like he's so certain it will end up in disappointment. Like he was like, you know, I'm like, Hey man, you gotta be pretty fired up about the way Mookie's playing. Yeah, I guess we'll see. You know, you know, it's like, this what, are you crazy? This is something that
2: Michael could obviously answer more than me, but I almost wonder if Dodgers fans have a little bit of what Red Sox fans used to have in the sense that, look, I mean, it's only, what, 22 years for the Dodgers. Right. Or 32 years. It's not. 32 years. It's, it's not 86 yet. But, I mean, the, the, the thing is, I mean, it's that, that that's kind of, you know, drought-like for the Dodgers, but also they're awfully good every year.
1: Every year.
2: And, and not just every the last, like, seven, eight years where they've been the best team in baseball. Good, but, I mean they're generally just really really good every year yeah. and they haven't. So I think it almost adds to the like if if you were just awful year after year after year I think almost like these droughts become like part of you know almost an acceptable part of of your family. Yeah, you become but,
1: like the Cubs. I think you, yeah, just, you it, just you just you you come hard. to accept
2: yeah. it. Yeah. When you you know when you 68 94 every year it's hard to say well we're, we're we're right there but you know I think 32 years seems a lot longer when it seems like 20 of those years, you, you you can talk yourself into saying they had the best team. Right.
1: No, I think that's 100% right. And I think you do get so, and especially because not only have they been so good the last few years, they also have had the best farm system the last few right. years. So it's like, it's like, it's always like, yeah, as good as we are now, we're going to be even better, you know, when Gavin Lex, Lux comes up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to be even better when, uh, you know, when Walker Bueller's, uh, you know, healthy and ready to go, yeah, and and Dustin I
2: mean, May. That's kind of like what the last half of the Red Sox drought was like, right? I mean, the first forty-three years, I mean, you had a lot of awful teams and a lot of 50, right, 50s, right. 50s. But then from like sixty-seven on, I mean, you look at the standings every year, the Red Sox were there. I mean, they made out of they were there. The they were there, they had a good enough team to let you dream that something was coming, and then they had good enough teams to to make you think, well, this could have been the team, should have been the team, and and once that, you know, once those start building on each other, I think it's almost like dog years.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think that's true. I just, I, you know, I mean, again, it's baseball is baseball. So a short series uh, can lead to anything, but I'm not seeing anybody beating them. I just don't, I just don't think so. I mean, that Padres team is a lot of fun and, and, you know, they've got, you know, they're, that lineup can be pretty exciting, obviously with Tatis and Machado and, and, and so on. Um, but I mean, the Dodgers just, especially in that ballpark, the Dodgers just shut them down, Mm -hmm. just completely shut them down, uh, with Walker Bueller. I mean, you know, and, and, and it looks like, like Kershaw's Koufax again. I mean, he, he seems to be back, uh, in full, in full flow. So I don't Mm -hmm. think so. And then, and then I got to tell you that Braves Marlins series. Yeah. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch an inning of it. I really I don't.
2: I mean, I look, I, you know. You. I'm with you. I, I, right? It's it just who cares, right? I mean, the Mar- I don't even think the Marlins are as good a story as people want to say they are. I think, I think what the Marlins are is an example of, of, of what a horrible, you know, thing having to play 60 games is.
1: Right. That's right. Because, I mean, that's exactly I
2: don't right. think anybody in their right minds thinks that if you extend the season to 100 games, if they're anywhere close to the playoffs. I mean, now no. full credit—they you know they, they they played the schedule they had to play and had some adversity and they did what they did and they're and they certainly have a very bright future with all those pitchers. But
1: yes, um, very like, excited. Yeah, well, if they keep them, I, yeah. if they I, keep I, them, I, which you know I, they're the Marlins, they're a total unwanted guest here. Let's be very
2: honest, I mean, <laughs> the Marlins, and of course they're what seven and zero now, lifetime in postseason series. Yeah. So it's like, well, until you actually kill them off, you're going to be like, not
1: again. Well, and that's what's happened every other year. The years that they were there, they always felt like one. They were always a wild card team to 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 get there. And then and they were a team, you know, both times, but particularly the first time, they were a team that you knew was not gonna exist a year later. And so like the whole thing felt that I mean, I that Braves team has some really I mean they're fun. I mean, they are. Yeah. They have some really, really good players. I mean, I mean Freeman It's Freeman's, impossible not to like Freddie Freeman. He's right, impossible I agree not to like.
2: The other thing about the Marlins is that, you know, we're talking about the injustices that were avoided. I mean, I guess if you're a Cubs fan, you're like, hey, what about us? We why don't deserve to lose the Marlins. <laughs> I mean, I can speak by, for everybody in America that lives outside of the state of Illinois. I'm tired of the Cubs. They can
1: everybody. They can, go away, I think everybody they can
2: go away into the shadows for another hundred years. Now it's, <laughs> I think people in people. Illinois
1: are tired of the Cubs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I I feel like that team went from – Super exciting, young, energetic, super fun. And then they win it and, and and celebrated, like, literally 24 hours a day for 162 games the next year. Like, they gave out more rings. Everybody got a ring. <laughs> Every single human being got a ring. And it was like, okay, look, they when you win a World Series for the first time in 100 years – you get to do it. You get to enjoy it. Enjoy this, and oh my God, they still have all these incredible players: Chris Brian, Javi Baez, and and uh, Rizzo. Oh my God, they're so fun. And now it's like oh, Brian's terrible, and Baez had a brutal year. He kept
2: looking up in the lineup, and especially someone like me, I didn't watch a lot of Cubs games this year. And you know, I was watching a little bit of that series. And it's like, don't they have any good players anymore? Everybody's, had, <laughs> That's everybody's how had it's four felt. seven. And, I, and what's weird about what you were saying about that before, Joe, is I, I, maybe I'm a lone voice here, but I don't think that, I don't think people grew that annoyed with the Red Sox after after their long wait. I mean, I just no. it was a different dynamic. I think I'm not sure what I'm not sure why that was, but I just grew I grew so annoyed with the
1: Cubs like by by, by May of 2017. I'm like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> I did feel like I really truly did feel like 2017, like. Look, you get a victory lap. You get two victory laps. You get five victory laps. You don't get a 100 yeah. victory laps. I mean, enough. You won the world. Look, the Royals were not just, I mean, okay, of course it wasn't as long, but it was 30 years of pure misery. They were never any good. For 30 years, they were terrible. And they won, and they had this huge parade with, you know, a million people, and it was awesome. And then it's like, okay, we won. Now let's go on to the next year. And the Cubs did not nope. do that. I didn't think.
2: I blame. I blame the Indians. But we can. I'm not going to put you through that conversation.
1: <laughs> don't make me. Don't. Don't. Don't hurt me. Don't I'm hurt gonna, me. Like I'm not going to hurt you, Joe. All right. So I think it's Braves, Dodgers, and and Astros, uh, Yankees, and wherever that leads. I don't know. Are you excited? I mean, is there. Is there a matchup that you see down the road that kind of? I mean, we don't want to see that Dodgers Astros World Series again. We've <laughs> we've been there, you know. I mean, even though that was a great series until Game Seven, um, you know, I don't think that one is is going to get America rolling. I don't know Yankees Dodgers like the old days. Yeah, I mean, what? look, I'm,
2: I'm 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 parochial here, and obviously, it would give me something to. Right about other than the Jets and the Giants through the end of October, that would be nice. <laughs> but I mean, look, I mean, from a baseball standpoint, I think the Dodgers and the Yankees would be a heck of a series. It'd be fun. I mean, you have you have great players all over. They get stars all over the place. I mean, yeah. that would be weird playing those games in Arlington, Texas, but
1: uh, <laughs> with fans, with, with fans, and invariably, all, and invariably,
2: all the Yankees
1: fans because it's probably. I was going to say, Texas like, season who's going to come to that? Who's going to be there? And, and that is that whole that thing is weird that thing of of these games being in in not just with no fans but in neutral ballparks is very strange it's uh, that i i find that you know and that's that's pure baseball because obviously every stadium is different and all that but that is very very strange to me
2: but even, i think the mirrors was, was depressing to watch some of that dodgers padres game cuz it just seemed so dark it did it just seemed, i agree it just seemed dark and and it's funny, Matt, I, you know, I actually lied. I did watch a couple innings of, of that uh, Braves-Marlins game yesterday. And it's funny, I was watching, I'm like, well, that doesn't look like the Atlanta
1: ballpark. And then I'm like, oh, right, it's not the Atlanta ballpark. <laughs> no, It's weird. It's, it's really, really strange to see it. I mean, it's like, you know, it is it's it is definitely weird. I mean, it's weird everywhere. I, speaking of dark, I thought the NBA finals felt like the lighting wasn't that great. I'm sure it is. But like on television, it did not look particularly bright it just kind of it just I don't know it lacked a little bit of that of that you know I don't know for me like when I think of the NBA finals I I do I I sort of you and I've had this conversation this this is going to bring us back to to the very beginning when we were growing up there were the only place you saw NFL games were on NBC and CBS that was it that was the only thing NBC had the AFC CBS had the NFC and that was it and you and I have had this conversation, and and I I hope other people chime in on this. There was a fundamental color difference between the two games, right? Absolutely. NBC games felt like I don't know brighter colors and and like just it just the, the, the grass was greener and the sky. was It greener. felt right, right. And but CBS felt like more I don't know official. Like it felt more like like it was definitely darker and and and. You know, I mean, look, a big part of that was that we so many of those games were Cowboys games. Okay. They, were, and so, they,
2: were playing, they were playing at Texas Stadium, which was darker because they only had a little small hole in the roof. But, <laughs>
1: that that was... hole in the roof, so you had that weird bright spot in the middle of the <laughs> field or whatever. But But it was fundamentally different. And that, like, I have always sort of pictured these NBA Finals games in these bright, colorful... You know, I have it in my mind mm-hmm. as being bright and colorful. And I, I don't know, I mean... I don't know why it is. It just feels like this is much darker to me.
2: I agree. You know? I mean, you know, I, I, I think in our memory, it's always the the white and green Celtics uniforms against right. the purple and gold Lakers uniforms. Those always just kind of popped. And you know, the Lakers don't don't wear those uniforms anymore. Yeah. More by sad. the way,
1: that is a big problem. I like the black Yake Laker uniforms. Hate them. I mean, I, hate them. I mean, yeah. You know, and
2: also, I, I'm not a big fan of the white Lakers uniforms either. No. I mean, it's either gold. It's either gold or purple, and it's. <laughs> Standard purple, not like you know dark purple. Right, I'm talking about right. regular Lakers purple. I mean, that's that that that's what it's supposed to be. And um I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not sure how much of that has to do with the fact that it's just with nothing about the NBA right now. Yeah, so that's right. I think that's like right. That. But I, I do think that if 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 uh, if last night's game, for instance, was in Miami, which tends to be a very bright
1: place to watch a game, yeah, might have
2: been different with you know these you know. With, with with fans in the stands and you know, waving their I think that's right. White- not, I, I know it's
1: all of it. I do. I know it's all of it. But but I will say one final thing that's positive before we go to to one last meaningless thing and that is Padres uniforms fabulous. Fabulous. Greatest, Thank you.
2: The greatest the greatest uh, import of a new uniform idea that I, I I can't even I can't even remember the last one that I enjoyed this much. It's I, so I actually like I actually like what the Chargers are doing with their stuff this year, but I mean, oh, I do too, I do too, I do too. But but yeah, it's it's just it's like and, and you wonder it was out there people were begging for that kind of color scheme <laughs> the last three for and years, years
1: and, and it years. Like,
2: you know they, they, they just kept coming yeah we'll try that like on every first <laughs> Sunday of June but then they will go away and we'll go back to the stupid blue and whatever color scheme <sighs> and yes they finally got it right and hopefully they'll hopefully they'll. Uh, They'll stick with it forever. But of course, teams never do because the Jets finally brought back their great color schemes and and then they've done away with them the last two years. They can lose as many games as they want to in those awful uniforms.
1: Yeah, those (laughs) yeah, that's exactly right. No, I look, I just I'm so happy. I don't know why it took so long, but I'm so happy with that uniform. All right. Time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing.
3: It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless. About sports and we draft things we know Like how beaches are terrible places to go No hot fruit for Michael No Diet Coke for Joe The podcast wall It's one last wall
1: Did you, did you prepare one did you
2: bring one with you I actually did Joe believe it or not uh, because I love it all right hit me well I mean and I've been doing this for years <laughs> I hate to admit this but um I'm not sure if I'm alone in this but uh, you know I think everybody in their neighborhood picks out a couple of places where they know you have the perfect garbage cans that are right that, that, that you know kind of enter right into your driver's side window and if you have messes in your front seat of your car you can just <laughs> Kind of dump things out. You know, in my my neighbor. There's one at Wendy's and there's one at Dunkin' Donuts, and okay. you know, I think you're supposed to, you know, at Wendy's, you know, have your Wendy's meal and then dump your Wendy's garbage <laughs> in those things. Um, but I, I know that as I got older and lazier, that whatever was in my front seat also went in. And then I've, you know, I haven't been to Wendy's to eat in six months, but I've been there to dump the various detritus in my car, <laughs> and. You know, I, and of course, as the pandemic happens, you know, you, you, you can actually make yourself seem like it's a normal part of behavior. I don't want to get out of my car. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put anybody else at risk by putting my garbage in, you know, the uh, in this particular thing here. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that for the betterment of society. But of course, you just don't want to get out of the car. But what I found now, which I think is a little troubling, is that uh, there's actually lines now to these <laughs> things, and I know, like when I go to the one of Dunkin' Donuts, that, that they haven't been to Dunkin' Donuts, they probably haven't been to Dunkin' Donuts in in in, in months. But they do have a messy car, and so they, you know, they, they line up, and they you know out comes, out comes their you know their McDonald's cups, and out comes their you know their their tax returns and New jerseys. So who knows what else they're throwing out? But um, that's uh, that's my usual observation here, because that is that it's, it's it's amazing to me as the pandemic has gotten longer. I think those lines at these, uh, at these kind of drive through garbage spots have grown grown longer too.
1: I love this. I love this. In fact, I, I think this should be a business where you, <laughs> where you, you have some sort of like, you know, and they, you make it fun. Maybe like, you know, it's, it has to be exactly the right height and it's, it's, you know, and maybe the garbage can thanks you or something or, or insults you. You have like a little insulting Garbage can. Like, so you come in there and, and you, you put in the garbage, and it like says something like, Yeah, nice car, pal. You know, something well, the best that part just brings is, a... though, like
2: So, like, this Wendy's I was talking about, there's actually two of these garbage canisters. There's one just as you get on the line to go and order your food. Okay. That line is actually also growing longer during the pandemic because people like to order, <laughs> order, order, order to drive through, but sometimes it's not. And so you can go through there. The other one is just after you pick up your food. And like if you if you're not in the drive through lane there's another lane to the right and so if you're in that lane you can kind of sneak by the guy who's getting his food and use that and nothing angers people more the guy <laughs> cuts in front of that because these guys are like all I want to do is get rid of my straw thing and just throw that out. But now I can't because you're in my
1: way. <laughs> you're, you're in there throwing away a cat litter and, uh, and I'm just trying to get rid of my straw here. What's going yeah. on? I think
2: there's going to be fisticuffs uh, before long, but that's what I'm seeing now, So
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, my one last meaningless thing this week is just going to be something I put on Twitter because, uh, because I love it so, so much. Uh, so everything is uh, terrible, as we all know. And and uh, and, and, you know, there's no point in even going into it. We have however many days to the election and maybe maybe something, uh, you know, changes at that point or maybe it doesn't. Who knows? I have no idea where we're going to go from here. But until then, it's going to be just daily. Uh, you know, I get 25 texts a day. From from different people trying to get me to vote their way or whatever. And I get, you know, it's, it's, and the commercials are everywhere. And, and, you know, the news is constantly depressing. And, and, and as we discussed at the very beginning of the show, great people are dying on us all the time. It's, it's, it's bad. So uh, I ran across this thread. Uh, I'm not the only one. I think it has, you know, gotten hundreds of thousands of, of uh, retweets and views and whatever. Uh, but if you have a chance, uh, it is, uh, the, the person who put it up is, is her, her tagline is mom friend. Uh, it's Emma space Lynn, Emma space Lynn, three words, all one put together. Uh, but it's also on my Twitter and it is essentially it's, it starts with, uh, a guy, uh, singing the song fighting in a grocery store, <laughs> which apparently was a TikTok. Like it's like a TikTok joke. My 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 kids have caught me up on the whole history of the uh of the grocery store song. Uh, apparently, some woman, uh, some girl or woman or young woman or whatever, uh, put it on Twitter, and and it's been getting slammed ever since, <laughs> dunked on repeatedly. So then this guy came out there and, and did like a Broadway version of it. Uh, so you can go over there and uh, and see this Broadway version, which is very very funny. But then. Amazingly, like a bunch of people just started adding on to the grocery store song. So a a woman comes in there and does like a duet with him, and then and then her, their kid does like a duet, like somebody else comes on and pretends to be their kid, and then a fourth person comes on and pretends to be an employee. And it goes on and on. It's like there's like 10 different people that have come on to this thing. It is literally the thing that has made me happiest in a year. I can't. I watch it over and over again. It makes me so happy for, I think a number of reasons. First of all, it's very, very funny. Right. It's very funny. Sure. Uh, I, I went to show it to my oldest daughter who was being very, very cynical. She was in a bad mood. And I said, you got to watch this. She's like now, nah. and she watched the first two and she's like, yeah, whatever. But then even in her mood that she was in, it melted her. And like by right. the fifth one, she was just in tears laughing so hard. It's so funny. And the thing that's so great about it is like I would want to do like uh like a book on how it came up together cuz like each person is so talented in their own way and they each bring like a whole other element to this thing that is like genius. I mean there's just a little there are little pieces of genius throughout this whole thing. So anyway, find the thread. I I I tweeted it out under greatest thread ever. So you can go to my Twitter to find it. Uh, it's out there. Plenty of other people have retweeted it. Uh, it is the uh, fighting in a grocery store song. Uh, Mike, have you seen it? I have not,
2: but I'm going to the moment that we, uh, yes, as
1: soon as we hang up, you need to, you need to see it. Uh, it is so funny. And just keep going. It's really important. Like even if the first couple, you're like, eh, okay, whatever. It doesn't do anything for me. Keep going. I promise you, you'll love it. It's uh, it's so great. So that's my meaningless thing. bringing a little joy, hopefully into your life. Find the, Find the uh fighting in a grocery store uh uh thread. It's it's uh fabulous. So there you go. That's that's it. We made it. You know, we made it. We didn't even talk about the fact that you and I once did a radio show together uh for one show <laughs> where literally in the middle of it we just like didn't have anything to say at that point. It was Kansas- like I
2: asked <laughs> It was Kansas City nineteen ninety eight. There wasn't a lot yep. to talk about then. I mean you know, we, there really wasn't that really Marty Schottenheimer. And then you know, <laughs> after that, what is there?
1: <laughs> so, so we were waiting for calls, which of course, you know, people were Whoa. not calling in. Cause why would they? Who's yeah. I <laughs> yeah, was listening to that show. It, and so, but I, the thing I remember most about that was Mike, as you, I hope you can tell from this thing, Mike is, it's, it's not like Mike shy. Mike, Mike has things to say. <laughs> and, and everybody knows I, I blab all the time. And the Royals made some sort of unbelievably minor trade during, do you remember this during the actual broadcast? Somebody came in, like a producer came in with like a sheet of paper said, Hey, the Royals made a trade. And I said, Oh, Hey, the Royals made a trade. They traded blah, blah, blah for, blah. I don't remember what it was, blah, blah, blah for blah blah. It was a very minor deal. And I said, Mike, what do you think? And he's like, no thoughts. That was it. That was it. I'm like, maybe this will get us through the next 10 minutes. No, it got us through zero minutes. Zero. Oh.
2: Yeah, that was uh, not exactly the best formula for talk, talk radio <laughs> is is to be uh, apathetic about anything. <laughs> everything. Like, yeah, well, whatever. The first, uh, uh, the, the, the first minutes of Talk Radio 101, they say, be outraged by everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about every single thing. I actually was going to bring up, we didn't have to, but I was going to bring up Skip Bayless's uh, tweet Today, which literally says how winning this ring will hurt LeBron's greatest of all time case now on Undisputed. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm rushing to hear that one. I want to hear how him winning a ring this year hurts his, his goat. Yeah, case.
2: Yeah, thank Yarn God for Skip Bayless because he proves that maybe dead air isn't necessarily the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we,
1: we finished second to Skip Bayless exactly. with our dead air, I think, at that point. All right, Mike, thank you so much for joining. This was awesome.
2: Joe, it's always great talking to you. Thanks a lot.
3: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players, have in communities. That's the NBA. That's game. It's like game five of the NBA finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck sons in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side. Found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.